The Arwen Lewis Show is brought to you by OMAD Records. Find out more at omadrecords.com. As part of the Jeremiah Show, it's the Arwen Lewis Show. Arwen Lewis is a singer, a songwriter, and a guitarist. She inhabits our blue planet, but her beliefs belong in the celestial realm. As the daughter of Peter Lewis, a founding member of rock and roll cult icons Moby Grape, and the granddaughter of Oscar-winning actress Loretta Young, she's been part of the creative cosmos all of her life. She's a slice of sonic heaven, poised to enter your heart, mind, and soul. She's an artist, producer, and writer, and she's your radio host. This is Arwen Lewis, and you're listening to The Arwen Lewis Show. My very special guest today is Emily Duff. Emily Duff um, is a longtime icon of New York City's root rock community. Emily Duff has spent her career blurring the lines between rock and roll, soul, roadhouse country, and punk. She's been a solo artist, a bandmate, a multi-instrumentalist who strums a guitar, plays the cello, and writes her own string arrangements. But above all else, Emily Duff has been and always will be a songwriter. If you ain't composing, you're decomposing, she says. I like to keep myself moving and keep myself writing. I usually write one song a day. It's been that way for years. Duff's songs emphatically nod to the sounds that first captivated her attention as a child during the 1970s. Raised in Queens and Long Island, she gravitated toward the era's roots legend and soul singers Chris Christopherson, Aretha Franklin, Willie Nelson, Janis Joplin, Johnny Cash, Al Green, and countless others. Don't Let Go turns that rich tapestry of sound into fuel for something original, with Death delivering a collection of heartland rock anthems, folk songs, barn burners, gothic murder ballads, soulful love songs, and everything in between. If Duff's previous albums explored different corners of her musical personality, the Muscle Shoals-sized R&B of Maybe in the Morning, the gospel grit of Hallelujah, Hello, the punky rock and roll of Razorblade Smile, her newest work returns the artist to her roots. Who exactly is Emily Duff? She's a street-smart New Yorker who traded mixtapes with Lou Reed during her 20s and struck up a musical partnership with Gary Lucas the experimental guitarist who performed with Captain Beefheart's magic band before launching his project Gods and Monsters. When the band's original lead singer, Jeff Buckley, left the lineup to launch his meteoric um, yeah, meteoric solo career, Duff stepped in as his replacement. Before long, she's left that band and formed another group 
uh, Eudora, whose mix of Americana instrumentation and Baroque textures earned them a gig opening for Bob Dylan and Paul Simon. But despite the momentum, Duff longed to do something even more personal. And by the time she launched her solo career during in 2000, she'd already lived a life rich in experience and eclectic music, which lent a mature perspective to her songs. Rolling Stone magazine describes Emily as one part Muscle Shoals, one part Patti Smith, and No Depression describes her as a roadhouse punk rocker. The Clash meets Jerry Lee Lewis. And today we're featuring songs from her albums, Razorblade Smile, Hallelujah Hello, and her EP Tonight. Welcome to the Arwen Lewis Show, Emily. Hi, how are you? What an impressive biography I was able to share with you. Or with oh. <laughs> I was actually even a little bit impressed by it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't wait to start talking about some of these things. Um, I thought we could start by telling our listeners about how your musical journey began. Uh, you're a guitarist, a singer, and a cellist. You write your own string arrangements, and you're a songwriter. So how did all of these talents come into fruition for you? And what was your musical education like? Well, my mom was, uh, pun intended, instrumental in getting me playing in that she uh, played folk guitar. Okay. And uh, from the time I was very young, I picked up her guitar. She taught me four chords and then I took it from there. Oh, and wow. then okay. after that, I just played every instrument I could put my hands on. I played, you know, I played mandolin, I'd played bass, I'd played drums, I played cello, played violin and trombone for a little while. I just wanted to play a little bit of everything because I heard music all the time. That's And that's so great that you were able to transpose everything to all of these different instruments. Um, it sounds like you're both a colorful musician and a colorful songwriter uh, with many different genres, of course, which is awesome. And you generally write a song a day. Um, how long have you been writing at that pace? And what's your songwriting process like? Um, the process changes, I'd say. The, the process really is to, to follow the song. So more than songwriting, I, I would call it song catching. Okay. Um, and it's just about, like I said, hearing music in my head at all times and constantly being surrounded. I mean, I wish I could turn around and show you that we live we live in Manhattan and we live in an apartment that's 340 square feet. It's very small. Mm -hmm. And there's four of us, 20, about two dozen guitars and a hound dog who's actually spazzing out right now on the carpet. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there's instruments and there's um, there's inspiration everywhere. So every day I wake up and I reach for a guitar. And I constantly wake up with ideas and I love words. Certain words lend themselves to melody and certain rhymes just bubble to the surface, you know, so the process will change. It'll be me playing guitar, strumming along, hearing a melody, starting to sing. Uh, you know, there's legend has it that Paul McCartney and, and John Lennon used to use the word scrambled eggs uh, like to fill in you know, for melody, that those were just the words. And um, you just kind of hum along and do the things you need to do until the story or the, the mood finds itself, you know. So process will change every single day. But at, that pace, have, yeah. at that pace, probably since 2015. That's, that's impressive. And what made you decide you wanted to write songs? Did you feel like you had to or, you know, well, wanted to add to your music? 
Well, I, I've, I've always thought that storytelling was probably the greatest art form and live music, I think, is what all art forms aspire to. Because live music engages the audience and all the participants in the art form itself. And we're all experiencing it in real time. You know, when you're playing with a band, it can be dangerous and sexy and exciting and fun. And you're having a conversation in a completely different language. And when you do it live, you're letting people watch. So it's voyeuristic. And when I say sexy and dangerous, you could be doing, you know, a song and you could be really at a pace where it feels like the wheels are going to fall off at any second. And it's just amazing when it doesn't. You know what I mean? And everybody's kind of on that ride. Everyone's riding the same wave. So it's it's participation and it's community and it's excitement and it's all happening in real time. So telling stories through music and doing it live for me, it's like it's, you know, it's like Philippe Petit walking the wire between the two towers. You know, it's that performative thing, but it's also a meditation and everybody gets to do it at the same time. I like how you said meditation because it's you have to literally be in the moment, right? And be mm -hmm. mindful and have that conversation, you know, just bouncing off of each other like you just said i really like that metaphor when you're um i'm a yoga teacher so oh, yeah, I play yeah, music. So you know, you know yeah, yeah, yeah. um and so about playing with people do you write songs with people too or um i've written three songs oh, okay out of the 800 some odd songs or 900 songs in my catalog or i don't know how what what really i haven't counted them lately but i really i i create in isolation usually because yeah. i there's, there's so much happening in right. my head um and it's very difficult for people to move at the same pace i i would love to write with other people you know and it, it's something that i've almost done 50 times where somebody has said, oh, I want you to go here or go there. And they're looking for a writer and just what you need. But I've never, you know, gotten into those rooms with people. But I'm, I'm sure that if I got in there, it would be it would be exciting and fun. There's nothing not fun about writing songs. Yeah. And I mean, it just I think it's easy to definitely like create in your comfort zone. Right. And um mm -hmm. I've been, you know, you're not having any problem coming up with great material <laughs> on your own. So if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Right. Um, what about composing strings? Do you compose strings for other artists or do you just do that for yourself too? I have done for other artists, but I haven't in a long time. Mm -hmm. um, it's something that I look forward to doing again um, and scoring and, you know, writing for TV and film. Um, uh, and it'll happen. It has happened in the past. It just hasn't happened in a little while. Yeah. And I guess with the strike, maybe, you know, hopefully it'll end soon. And then maybe I can get back to doing something like that if I'm needed. And when you say composing, like, are you just composing like string arrangements or are you doing song like, you know, like um, pop songs for TV? Both. When, oh, both. Okay. Both. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Um, and let's talk about your album, Razorblade Smile, featuring um, five songs from that uh, record today. Um so like did you have a particular writing process for this album did you write the songs for the album or did you go through your catalog and choose uh, the ones that fit together 
That album was really interesting because I recorded it during the pandemic okay. and uh, recorded during a time where people weren't getting together. So I went over to my producer's studio, uh, Eric Amble, Roscoe, okay. everyone knows him as Roscoe. And um, I recorded just uh, acoustic guitar and vocals. Okay. And then he built the tracks around because at that point we still weren't supposed to be getting together. Right. You know, so then it was, you know, farm it out and do this and get a band together. And, you know, he would do that at another time and then we would do overdubs. So that was a really interesting process. That was the first time I'd ever made a record like that. Huh. It's not the way I like to make a record because, like I said, I love live music with people because it is, you know, it's for me, it's a, you know, it's a community thing mm-hmm. and sharing. Um, but it's it's one of my favorite records because it came out feeling uh, very alive and especially knowing how we made it. It was a real, it was a, it was a surprise and it felt really good. And, and all of those songs I wrote for that record, you did, except okay. for razor blade smile that, that had already been written. So did that kind of spark? Um, I think the, so. In, okay. Yeah. What? I think that, that that was the record, the song that I used kind of as a centerpiece. Okay. And what's the meaning behind that title? Um, razor blade smile is kind of like that smile that you put on when you're, you know, you're gritting through, you know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's kind of, it's, it's not fake. It's just, you know, I'm just putting this out there and maybe I'm not happy with everything, but I'm just, I'm, I'm going to get through it. Yeah. Yeah. And and that was, you know, a message we needed at that time for sure. Yeah. And also still staying resilient and tough. Right. You know, and firm in who you are. And um, also, I feel like that was that's a really good message just to send out. And you're such a great an expression of that because you have so many um, genres that you write from and create in and how about um, the musicians on this record, too? Like, did you have a group of people or was it primarily just you and your producer that played the instruments on the record? Well, no, it was interesting because Roscoe um, has a bunch of people that he loves to work with. Mm-hmm. Now, Roscoe plays all the electric guitars on this because why wouldn't you have him? He's so great. He was Joan Jett's first guitar player in the Blackhearts. Cool. So he was 19 and they were all out in L.A. and he was in the band and Joan broke and it was a big deal. And I love rock and roll. And that's Roscoe, you know. So um, so he's fantastic and he's got a great sound and he's produced some of my favorite records. Keith Christopher is on bass. Uh, Keith is uh, presently in Leonard Skinner as the bass player. Wow. Um, (laughs) Phil (laughs) Cimino is the drummer. He's unbelievable. And I've worked with him before on a few things. And Roscoe's worked with him before. My uh, bandmate, Charlie Giordano, who happens to be also in Bruce Springsteen's band, he plays all the keyboards on this stuff. And um, yeah, and then Cody Jensen, we we just sent this out to him and he did a, a pedal steel track for us. And that came out really nice. And Roscoe's wife, Mary Lee, um, she and Roscoe do all the background vocals. Okay. So, yeah, so that was the the personnel on that record. And, uh, you know, they're they're so amazing. You know, they're such hot shots and they're such great players. Why wouldn't you be excited to make music with them and make records with them? You know, 
Yeah. And like, do you, I'm assuming you probably just give them free reign. You're like, these are the cores. These are the changes. Play what you hear. Well, that's Roscoe. He's the okay. producer. You know okay, what I mean? So it's all like, his. And, and I trust him. And I think he's one of the most talented people I know. And he's really generous and he understands like he really gets it. He's a great producer. I, this is my the EP that I did with him was the third project we worked on. And it's interesting because when I had my band Eudora, I wanted to work with Roscoe back in the 90s. Oh, wow. I think it was back in 1997 or eight. I really wanted to work with him. And then and things got really strange with my guitar player at the time um, who wound up like having a bad drug habit and stealing a bunch of money. And so the record didn't get made and I never got a chance to work with Roscoe. But then I finally worked with him in 2019, 2020 on Born on the Ground. So that was, you know, I don't know, 30 years later, we finally got a chance to work together. It's funny so, how things work out that way. <laughs> yeah. 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 You know, you get there when you get there. Yeah. And how about um, the recording uh, material or recording equipment? Was it all digital or analog or a little bit of both? Do you have a preference? Uh, on, on, well, you know, I love analog and I'm not, but I'm not a purist, you know, I'm not going to say, oh, I need to work on tape because it's, it's so easy and it's such a, such a luxury. I love technology for certain things. Yeah. You know? And there is an, an, but I'm actually a Luddite. I worked in the tech, in the technology space back in the nineties. Oh, you know? wow. Okay. Oh yeah. I had started an internet company back in 1998. Oh, and, so in the yeah. very beginning, in the very oh, beginning, I was working in that space. I started an online magazine called Silicon Sally, and we were oh. promoting visibility to women who were working with emerging technologies. And it was really exciting and I love doing it. But being such an early adopter, an early adapter to all of that stuff, it 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 sort of turned me off like around 2001. Everyone started taking off. I decided to back up because um, I saw the problems, the inherent problems in creating spaces that were echo chambers. And it's like, I feel like I like I, a lot of artists have a love hate relationship with it. Right. And like you sure. probably it gave you the chance and to make your record that yeah. way with all of those people and during that time, too. Um that yeah, I know it's a it's a blessing and a curse. I think I'll agree with you. Yeah, there. yeah. And if you have um, a great if you have a great producer, a great engineer, and also a great mastering engineer who might be able to take your digital mixes and you know and put them through tape, you know, and yeah. give them a warm sound, uh, then you know you're getting the best of both worlds. And I have had the privilege of making two records, both recorded in Muscle Shoals at the legendary Fame. Uh, recording studio and those both wound wow. up on vinyl so mm -hmm. you know i understand the richness of that that process but it's not you know it has to be one or the other because it's it's financially not viable i mean to make records like that is very expensive mm -hmm. and in a world where people don't think they need to pay for music it just it the, you know the 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 pros and cons don't they just don't balance Totally. And like, I, I think a good way around it, like you said, is like re recording digitally to save time and money. Right. And then oh. like, if you can transfer it onto at least tape with the mastering engineer and get it on the vinyl, because then I mean, 
you, you I guess you can tell there's I mean for me there's definitely a difference between like a 60s vinyl listening to that on my record player and sure. like the current one but it still sounds warmer on vinyl like if it's been mastered to um tape than it would like on a cd player like we're playing it off the mp3s right. in the car exactly but you can't be a snob about things like that you know there's there's just no way to you know to yeah. say you'll only do it one way it's just ridiculous um who who mastered razor blade smile um razor blade smile was <laughs> was mastered by um uh God, richard dodd now okay. richard, richard dodd is amazing because richard dodd um was a recording engineer um and i think people primarily think remember him and go oh he was the guy who engineered the carl douglas song kung fu fighting uh, yeah. he did. That's awesome. <laughs> he's brilliant he's brilliant he's done some great stuff um and dodd really gets the job done great and he gets it done quick i i love working with him and he and eric have a wonderful relationship so that makes sense nice yeah um well and talk about another legend Roseanne cash um i want to share something that she said about you um she said that you remind her of some of the great earthy big voiced root singers she loved in the 70s like Tracy Nelson, Marsha Ball and more and that you borrow from that blues and roots tradition but make it your very own with your sensitive and personal lyrics. So you've got a big and colorful music musical personality and um and you've also you've released albums in uh, R&B, soul, punk and rock and roll. Um so yeah, like how did you become so versed in so many genres? I think growing up, I was born in 1966, which I consider mm -hmm. to be the golden age of songwriting, you know? And so my sensibility is still like so heavily grounded in the Brill building, you know? Yeah. So, and, and, and those songs, which what I would consider pop songs, yeah borrowed from all of those genres like you know you would listen to great am radio especially here in new york you know uh cousin brucey or you know i don't know if you know our radio you know this is east coast radio and i don't know what radio and when you grew up but listening to you know music on the radios in the back seat of my parents car you know, we listened to Clarence Carter on pop radio, listening to songs like Patches and Bobby Gentry doing Ode to Billy Joe. You know, mm -hmm. you know, it's it was it was this pop sensibility that was rooted in classic, what we would call classic rock, R and B, soul, country, now Americana, gospel. You know, we had I I feel like we really blurred the lines when it came to pop music in the 60s 70s and even the beginning of the 80s yeah and i feel like nowadays too like as we evolve you know in pop culture it's um all of these genres are kind of coming together and it's like americana has kind of like become that right and so you kind of consider yeah. yourself americana artist yeah i guess people like to say that i am uh, that or a roots yeah. Roots music artist but it's you know i i don't know yeah non-binary musical genre <laughs> yeah i like that that's the new one yes you never yes. coined that yeah, well, yeah we're gonna um get ready to head out to break really quick here emily this is so fun talking about your philosophies and your music um and we're gonna take everybody out to break with my misery from your ep tonight and then bring them back in with you better believe
And uh, we'll be right back, everybody. This is Emily Duff on the Arwen Lewis Show. Find her on Facebook under Emily Duff, on Instagram at Emily Duff Band 211, and look her up on Bandcamp at emilyduff.bandcamp.com. We'll be right back. This is Arwen Lewis, and you're listening to The Arwen Lewis Show. And you just heard You Better Believe by Emily Duff. And my very special guest today is uh, New York City rock uh, community legend, Emily Duff. And uh, <laughs> find her Instagram at emilyduffband211. Uh, look her up on Bandcamp at emilyduff.bandcamp.com or on Facebook under Emily Duff. And... Um, Let's start talking about your live shows. So your first live show ever was at CBGB's. Um, yes. Yeah. Can you tell us about that show? Um, was it a solo performance? Did you perform? No, I was in a punk band called the Trouble Dolls. And we were young and we were punk rockers and we were stupid and we were underage and we played loud and we played fast. Awesome. And yeah, and it was great. And the energy was really what it was all about. And... Um, 
Yeah, and you know, I try to stay as true to that vibe even now <laughs> yeah. at my age, you know, because you get in there and you just you just play the songs. You just want to play the songs. And it's interesting because I talk I we talk about that in our band all the time in my band is that if you show up to play your instrument, you're showing up for all the wrong reasons. You you show up to play the song. Yeah. And, yeah. So that's that's that was my first experience of playing live at the age of 13. 13? Uh, yeah. Club. That's so cool. Yeah. And uh, from there, it just, you know, went on to various different performances, whether it would be at like my school or in clubs and local clubs and then on to touring and, you know. Lately, I've just been staying close to home. I've got a UK tour planned again in June, nice. and I'm going out solo. Okay. And uh, that'll be really fun. Um, but I do a once a month residency at a local place called Cowgirl in the back room. Okay. And we have a huge party for the community, and it's all ages, and it's just p- the same people come every month, and the place is packed. So that's that's really what I'm doing for the rest of this year. Okay. The next one being on November 13th. And is that in New York City? It is. It's in the West Village and it's a local community thing. And uh, it's it's become a party and we've been doing it since 2014, once a month. And what we what I the reason why I did it is because Cowgirl is a local business and they're friends of mine. And I've known them for 33 years and uh, their rent got jacked up. So, you know, you take a night that's not so busy and you turn it into a busier night. Yeah. That's what we do. That's great. Yeah. It's like, it's, well, it sounds like a really symbiotic um, relationship for everybody and a symbiotic event for everybody. Everybody's benefiting. It is. It is. And then if there's friends I know that are touring that are coming in from different parts of this country or different countries and they know that I'm doing my monthly show, sometimes they'll open. Nice. So if they're on a national tour and they want to do something that's small, they'll come into the back room and they'll do a half an hour to open up before we play. Cool. Do yeah. you have any artists that have done that like in the past that you want to mention? Well, Side Pony, they were wonderful. They were up from Nashville and um, yeah, they were, they were great. A couple of people have done it. Amy Allison did it. Um, just, you know, I can't remember. I can't recall. Yeah. <laughs> um, we're we're looking to get some people coming in from the UK. Cool. You know, that that I know that are going to be in town. So, yeah, when there's just various the- people. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. Um, and, and when you go to the UK, is it, so is it you and guitar? Do you play any other instrument when you accompany yourself? It's me and guitar. Um, the past couple of times, I took another guitar player with me. So we were a duet with harmonies. This year in 2024, I'm doing it all by myself. Nice. Yeah. Um, it's all a different vibe um and oh and also i wanted to talk about your your band eudora um, and opening up for bob dylan and paul simon can you tell us about eudora a little bit and about opening up for bob dylan and paul simon that's very cool yeah eudora was a fun band um it's eudora started um at the time where americana music was getting really really popular bands like will you know um uh, uncle tupelo Blue Mountain, the Bottle Rockets, um, so many great bands. And uh, 
my friend Michelle and I started writing songs together. And then we brought on Anna Goodman as a fiddle player okay. who used to be married to Ben Folds. And then we were a three piece. And then we decided that we were going to expand and we became a band. Um, and we were playing all over the place. And it was like Americana music was just, you know, the big thing. Um, then I, I added Julia Kent as a cellist. Okay. And then she and Anna were doing some Baroque string parts and I was doing arrangements for that stuff. And um, I put out a record called Marathon Girl and that got put forward for an opening spot at Jones Beach Theater in 1999. And I got picked. So it was just one of these wow. lucky things that it was like, yeah, that's cool. And that's what it was. So, it, you know, it wasn't like I knew Bob. It wasn't like I knew Paul Simon or anything. It just we got picked based on a record that I made. And I think it was sponsored by Levi's at the time. I mean, that's a way bigger honor, obviously, than to just like, oh, well, I know Bob Dylan and Paul Simon, so I get to open. Right, like, right. Honored for your music, which is beautiful. Right, right. And it was a really good record and it was unusual. So I think that's that's one of the reasons why we got chosen. And it was it was a gas. It really was. It was, you know, it was the, the night of the five foot tall Jewish songwriters. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> Did um can you find that album anywhere? Can our listeners find it anywhere? On Bandcamp, it's still available. Um okay. I it's sold out as far as hard copy, but you can get the digital copy. Nice. And it's interesting to hear Americana country music with cello and uh and well, how did that happen? I don't, I don't know. That was so bizarre. How did that happen? All of a sudden, balloons just went up um, with cello and violin. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah, I can't. I'm going to look that up because I didn't listen to that album yet. Uh, but it sounds like you can find your whole catalog on your Bandcamp. Yeah, much. I prefer people to use Bandcamp. As a matter of fact, I just click that button that says don't renew every anything on TuneCore for Spotify. Nice. Because I decided that it was time to get out of that loop Yeah, where you pay to play. You know what I mean? Sounds it's, like Los Angeles. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I know. I mean, pretty much most every artist, unless they want Spotify followers, if they're trying to gain recognition, they prefer Bandcamp, you know, obviously. Yeah. I prefer, especially since this Friday is Bandcamp Friday. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Right. So November 3rd, that's the day that I get to keep most of the money that rightfully belongs to me <laughs> yeah. what a concept yeah what a concept to be an artist and be valued <laughs> welcome to the music business <laughs> oh is it still a business oh yeah quote unquote yeah no I, yeah what, what could we call it now i'm sure you can come up with something <laughs> yeah we just call it the skit the music yeah. skit <laughs> that's a good one um well, we're going to get ready to head out to break pretty soon here. Um, and so everybody, if you're just tuning in, my very special guest is Emily Duff. And we're taking you out to break uh, with her song, Razor Blade Smile. And uh, we'll be right back. Uh, look Emily up on uh, Facebook under Emily Duff, Instagram, Emily Duff Band 211. And on her website, emilyduff.bandcamp.com. And we'll be right back.
Yellow stains on my fingers I've been up all night With eyes swollen halfway shut This won't end tonight Harsh words, blatant lies A hurting inside It's what we don't say that plagues us Up all night praying for night Everybody, this is Arwen Lewis, and you're listening to the Arwen Lewis Show. My very special guest is Emily Duff, and we're here talking about um, her extensive career as a songwriter, musician, and touring musician. Um, and we uh, haven't talked about your album Hallelujah, Hello yet. Um, how does it differ, Emily, from your album uh, Razorblade Smile? And also, Don't Let Go is Don't Let Go the album that you're currently working on. I'm, I'm currently working on two records right okay. now. Don't Let Go and The Obvious Invisible. Okay. With two different producers. It look, I thought Don't Let Go was going to come out first, but it looks like The Obvious Invisible, which is a pun in and of itself, might actually show itself first. Okay. Um, and um, I'm also working on a few songs again with Roscoe. Okay. So there's a lot of music happening. Um, but Hallelujah Hello um, was a little bit of a miracle uh, child for me in that I never expected to ever write a gospel record. And that's really what it is. Um, I was born and raised in a Jewish family. Uh-huh. And my daughter, Sylvia, at the age of seven, told me she wanted to go to church. Oh. And... Um, I said, oh, but we're Jewish. And she said, no, mommy, you're Jewish, but daddy isn't. And I would like to go to church. So um, I asked my friend Tina if Sylvia and I could go to church with she and her daughter, Alice, who was Sylvia's friend. And um, Tina said, don't worry, I'll take them. You don't have to go. And I said, okay. And I thought Sylvia was going to be very bored. And she came home and she was just completely in love. Wow with the community. Um, so after Sylvia going for about a year and going to um, Sunday school and being really involved in church, I decided to start going. And that created a whole new world for me and how I identify religiously and how I function in the world as a person of faith now. Mm -hmm. And within all of that, I wrote this record. 
because this moment was a bit of a hallelujah hello for me um, in that I kind of opened my eyes and saw something that I never expected to see. That's very beautiful. And that your daughter inspired that for you too. Yes. That's a really, yeah. Yes, it was great. And it was something we could share. And then it was something that I've taken on in my way um, as, as my day-to-day life and lifestyle and coping strategy. <laughs> and, um, and that record was a return to Muscle Shoals. The first time I brought my band with me to Muscle Shoals, the second time I asked the engineer who, who engineered my first record if he had produced a record yet. Because when I met him for the first time, we got along so well. His name is John Gifford. Okay. And I said, you know, what have you produced? And he says, I haven't produced a record yet. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't believe that because he is such a genius in the studio. And he was Rick Hall's last assistant. Um, Rick Hall being one of the most famous producers of soul music and country soul music and the owner of fame recording studios. Um, I said, well, how would you like to produce my record? And he didn't know what to say. He said, let me think about that. And he and he called me back like an hour later and he said, yes, I want to do that. I said, well, I've got this this uh, gospel record. And he goes, what? Really? And I said, yeah, I've, I've written these songs. And he said, this time, don't bring your record. Don't bring your band with you. If you want to make a Muscle Shoals record, I want you to use Muscle Shoals musicians. And I said, well, Absolutely. And when we got when I got down there, um, we wound up with Justin Holder on drums, with Bob Ray on bass, Clayton Ivey on piano, Will McFarland on guitar, Kelvin Holly on guitar, Wayne Bridge, bless his heart and may he rest in peace on pedal steel and dobro um, and the Shoal sisters. Um, unbelievable, who I am actually going down to sing with at the Schmussel, at the Shoals Theater in the beginning of December because they've been singing together for 25, 30 years. They're legends in their own right. So making that record was an absolute privilege and it just completely changed everything for me and how I make records. And what a place to record gospel music too, right? Oh. Like. Brilliant. I chills like just talking about it. <laughs> it was a brilliant experience. And now I've got friends for life. And hopefully someday my husband and I are going to retire down there. Nice. You no. Know, and, and, and it's just a wonderful, wonderful, mystical, magical place. Yeah. And when and I tell people, oh, yeah. when I tell people I want to live in Alabama, they think I'm crazy. <laughs> Uh, I mean, it sounds like that has its own niche, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Just like Nashville is in Tennessee, you know, Boston, they call it, right. right. It's, it's the blueberry and the apple pie. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. The blueberry yeah. and the apple pie. Um, oh, well, how, what a cool experience. And can people get tickets to that show coming up with the Shoal sisters? Or- I'm sure they can. Yeah, I'm sure. Awesome. Yeah. But keep an eye out for that. Um, and how about uh, your EP tonight? Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that EP? We pay, we played the song "My Misery" from that record, or that EP. Um, yeah. Why an EP? And um, yeah, tell us a little bit about it and the philosophy behind it. Well, sometimes you just write a couple of songs that you think are really nicely together, and you don't feel like you need to to make a full statement with a record. 
Yeah. And I started messing around with some tunes that although they felt very rooted in R&B and soul, they also had a vibe that felt to me very 80s. Okay. Cool. And and it was interesting because Charlie Giordano and I were joking around and Charlie was in Pat Benatar's band yeah. before he was in Bruce's band. And I said, you know, let's bust out some old synthesizers from, you know, the love is a battlefield days. And he actually said, I've got that Triton in storage. Let me go see if it still works. And it didn't, of course. Um, but we wound up doing a lot of synth work on tonight and i get nowhere and whereas the bomb a lot of people tell me it does sound like kind of like an unreleased bruce tune that has a little bit more of a punk vibe to it and my misery was a song that i wrote that i thought to myself oh you know this this sounds like something mavis staples might have recorded in the in the 80s mm-hmm. you know so sometimes it's just a little snack it's not a full meal I know how you feel. I've just released an EP too. And like, I just felt like if I would have added any other of my songs to it, it would have ruined the vibe. Like I was like, it, need, or it was a six song EP. And like, I yes. agree with you. Like sometimes you just Perfect. need to, you know, say that, put those songs together and then get people listening, you know, and then they want to yeah. turn it on again too, you know? Yes. Yes. And each one feel, felt like a single. Cool. So yeah. to quote, to quote Mary Poppins, enough is as good as a feast. <laughs> oh, I love that. <laughs> yes. Mary Poppins. Um, I have to tell my friends, they all call me Mary Poppins. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, this awesome. I, I want to finish up talking maybe a little bit more about your two projects that you're working on. And then um, we'll take everybody out to break right now. Uh, with done and done and then bring him back in with give me back my love everybody if you're just tuning in uh this is emily duff on the arma lewis show she's my very special guest from new york city and uh you can find her on instagram at emily duff band 211 uh, look her up on Bandcamp at emily duff.bandcamp.com or on facebook under emily duff and do you have merch and stuff on your Bandcamp too not just cds I do. I have some T-shirts, but, you know, they sell out kind of fast and I'm getting ready to make another one that's going to go with one of the records and then, you know, more merch for tour for June. And I I, I, I love the fact that I have it and then it's gone. Nice. Yeah, that's a good <laughs> sign. Yeah, it doesn't hang around for very long. Yeah. Awesome. One, two, Baby, it's been a long time, and it's true, we have to admit Love like ours is hard to find, even harder to know when to quit Done and done, I guess nobody won We burn real fast and way too bright Lord knows we had some fun, but the way it feels right now ain't right Chasing the midnight sun, we're done and 
Hey, I'm Emily Duff. I'm a songwriter from New York City, and you are watching and listening to the Arwin Lewis Show. Before the next great song plays, let's pause to consider all the people who work tirelessly to bring us the music we love. Music Cares is music's leading national charity that provides a safety net of support and crisis relief for the music community. Everyone from musicians to tour managers, sound engineers to designers can rely on Music Cares to provide emergency financial assistance and essential resources in times of need. Find out how you can help at musiccares.org. That's M-U-S-I-C-A-R-E-S dot org. Troubled and beautiful you are I fall down on my knees Awaken my disease Cut me down Tearing at my heart Bringing me to tears And raising up old fears everybody this is arwin lewis uh you just heard my very special guest emily duff uh, and that was her song give me back my love and uh, we're here talking about her extensive career as a songwriter touring musician um and you know a musician of many different genres including r&b soul and uh punk rock and rock and roll and roadhouse country um well here's a question i wanted to ask you um how do you compare your experience uh, to watching a live show to your experience performing a show? Oh, it's it's completely different. It's completely different. Yeah. And I'm not even sure I can explain how it's different because it's like one of those, you just have to be inside of it. You know what I mean? Right. Um, it's all respect to whatever I'm watching. And, and you know, obviously I'm quiet. <laughs> and I am a spectator. Um, I'm wrapped up in it. But when I'm on stage, it's it's a completely different thing. You know, it's it's like being a cruise director and knowing what the audience needs and being able to read the room and being able to lead my band. And, you know, you're, you're wearing five different hats at the same time. And, you, you know, you've got you're juggling and you're doing all this stuff. And at the end of the day, you just you just want everybody to enjoy themselves. And do you feel like being a performance musician has an effect on the way you experience a show or maybe not because you've been doing it like your whole life so that's you know just you've always naturally kind of been engulfed in the moment whether you're performing or watching well the only thing that i can exp that i can kind of compare it to it's it's reverence so it's when i'm at a show it's like church yeah you no know, it's you know you're when i'm singing you know i'm praying twice <laughs> yeah you, you know, you're communicating in a way that, you know, you're hoping that the person that's on stage wants to communicate with you when you're a spectator. Yeah. You know? So I'm going. I'm going to a show to see an artist and receive, you know, and when I'm going to a show as the artist, I'm going to give. Right. I guess those are, that's the basic difference is giving and receiving. Yeah, and I like that. But thank you for explaining that for us. <laughs> um, and so why don't we finish up talking about 
Don't Let Go. And what's the other album that you're working on? What's that called again? The other one's called The Obvious Invisible. Okay. And, and that so I'm recording here. Don't Let Go. I've done all the recording already. Um, I'm actually going to do a little bit of overdubs, but most of it uh, was recorded in Detroit. Okay. And uh, the producer is named Bunky Hunt. And um, it's currently being uh, mixed and we're looking at just a few, a few things to go, you know, to do here because okay. there's, there's some backup singers that I really love here. And okay. there's uh, an engineer that I use for mixing okay. here that I want to work on a few of the songs that are a little bit more complex. Okay. Um, you have quite a, a variety of um, like genres on this album, right? Like, rock anthem folk barn burners gothic murder ballads and soulful love songs is that right that is right <laughs> um so what why such an eclectic record for this one well at the end of the day it's all really pop music you know what i mean you could put it in those categories i didn't call it that that was you know somebody listened to it and you know that's that that was like a, a first review of the roughs that somebody listened to and said, oh, you know, I'm going to write about this because I want to get a sneak peek at this. And that's how he wrote it up. And I said, oh, OK, that's descriptive and everything. But at the end of the day, they're just they're just well-crafted pop songs. That's what you got out of it, you know. And it, yeah, it's interesting how different people get different things like from what, you know, we create. Right. Or what you create as an artist. Um, yeah. Taste is subjective. Do you hope for that too? Do you like everybody to relate to it in a different way? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I nobody experiences music in the same way. Just like people like I used to be a chef and oh. I can't think of any any two disciplines that go more connected and and symbiotically than food and music because you know you just you can't yuck somebody's yum. You know, people <laughs> like what they like. <laughs> and I'm not going to tell you what tastes good because I like it, you know, it's like saying liver and onions is the greatest thing in the world. And when you're five years old and your mom puts it on your plate, you go, I'd rather die than eat that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Certain things are acquired tastes. I could, I can probably cite a few records off my head that top of my head that I thought to myself when I first listened to it, I don't know that I like this record. And then after five listens, I went, Oh my God, this is brilliant. I love it. Yeah. And you know, so, so, yeah, like, would you think with like the evolution of yourself as an artist and, you know, after, you know, just continuing to be exposed to different music and creating more and more music, you know, your taste changes too? Absolutely. Nice. Yeah, my taste, I, I'm always changing. I just have to, the only thing I have to do is stay me and yeah. be authentic to who I am and be honest, you know, so I'm going to write what I hear. And the song is going to take me somewhere. And sometimes I'm surprised because I could be writing something that I think is like a lyric that's going to wind up in a blues song. And it winds up in some, you know, R&B tune that sounds a little bit more 60s soul. You know, I mean, it's not it's that's not like across the ocean from each other. You know, it's not like I'm writing, you know, hip hop, but uh there's just something there that 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 can go anyway. You know what I mean? A great song is a great song. You could sing it in any genre, really. Mm -hmm. 
you know, take the American songbook, take any like Cole Porter tune or, you know, and, and sing it like a punk rock song. And it's probably going to work. Like, do you listen to Social Distortion ever? Sure, of course. So Mike Ness, right? I think he's like yeah. such a good example. Like I've heard him do, um, what is it? He, a Bob Dylan song. Mike last guest had that, had played that because he liked that song. And it just, I was actually just thinking about that, how cool it is. And that's the tradition of folk music, right? And you're in the heart of that right there in yes. New York City, you know, where yes. it was originated. Um, well, how about, do you see yourself exploring any genres that you haven't yet in the future? Or did you see, did you also, and did you see yourself um, ending up and evolving in such a vast way when you first started? Um, I always knew that I could take any turn and go flying off any cliff at any moment. You know what I mean? Like, I've always been a radical explorer. Like, there's the never say never for me. Yeah. So I, yeah, of course I could see myself going into a genre that I never thought I would just because it's an adventure and it's exciting and the song will tell me where to go. I'm, I'm not such a taskmaster that I won't listen. And my, and there's no ego, you know what I mean? Like I will not eat when I was a chef, I, I would never tell people like, you know, you can't put salt on that because I seasoned it perfectly. You know, there was salt on the table. If you want it, use it. I wasn't that chef, you know? So if I wander into a different genre, it's just because I think it's time to go exploring. And what a beautiful note. I mean, this went by too fast, but a beautiful <laughs> note to end the show on. Um, well, Emily, thank you so much. I love that. Um, I love that uh, metaphor you use between food and music and Thank you for sharing your music with us. And everybody, uh, we're going to take you out of the show with Emily Duff's featured song, Another Goodbye. And again, uh, find her on Facebook under Emily Duff, Instagram at Emily Duff Band 211. And uh, find her merchandise, music, and everything else about Emily on emilyduff.bandcamp.com. And again, Emily, thank you so much. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. All right, everybody, enjoy.
This show is brought to you by Omad Records, featuring artist Robert LaRoche. And Robert LaRoche's music is available on omadrecords.com, Amazon, Spotify, Apple Music, and streaming everywhere. Go visit omadrecords.com to find Robert LaRoche. The Arwen Lewis Show was brought to you by Evolve Entertainment. Host and executive producer, Arwen Lewis. Executive producer, Jeremiah D. Higgins. Producer and sound engineer, Richard Dr. D. Dugan. You can find Arwen Lewis and all of her music at arwenlewismusic.com. And follow her on Instagram at arwenlewis. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.